Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We hope you experience God today. Make sure you visit us at risenking.life to take all your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. We're in our fourth week of our flow series. Uh, the Lord often speaks to me in these series through events that happen in, our, in my life or in Lisa my, in my life. So this week we, uh, we had this, this service that came to our yard and, and threw seed everywhere. You see, we, our house is on a hill that for some reason people crash into our yard all the time. We've had Hummers, wreck, uh, tow trucks, we've had all kinds of stuff. And we have all these places where there's bare you know, ground and everything. And so I came home and there was seed all in those places. It had been aerated. I was so excited until Lisa looked at the paper and says, you have to water this every day. I go, I wanted magic seed. So I, she made me do it. And uh, so I went out and I'm watering the grass and I'm not in the best spirit-filled attitude at that moment. And I'm thinking, this stinks. And I have to do this every day. And then the Holy Spirit started speaking. I don't know why yard work brings revelation. but uh, So the Holy Spirit started speaking to me and he said, every assignment given to you by the Spirit is a seed with the full potential of a harvest. But if you neglect the assignment and don't water the seed, you'll never see the fruition. You'll never see the fruit. And so I began to realize that as we do this flow series, what, what's going on in your life is whether you're conscious of it or not, the Spirit has been sowing seeds of your assignment into your life every day of your life. But they do not germinate. They do not come to the fullness of their potential until you are dedicated to them. You're watering them. You're, you're listening. You're protecting. You're guarding. You're believing that this has worth or this has value but right now there are seeds of your greatest potential that the spirit has given to you and here's what i want you to understand today we're going to look at this in three ways every assignment every seed that is given to you is given to you by the holy spirit so it's everything in it everything is in that seed to lead you to the full potential of your destiny greater a fullness than you've ever known before, but you have to pay attention to the seed. Second thing is, because it is a spirit-given seed, because it's a spirit-given assignment, he will, if you will devote yourself to the seed, he will equip resource so that everything you need for it to be fulfilled will be given to you. You see, the result of every assignment of the spirit is not a natural result it's a spiritual result and the truth is that everything you really want in your life your happiness your fulfillment sense of satisfaction and purpose every single one of those has a spiritual origin if you are not equipped if you are not resourced you will never experience fullness but if you are equipped you will experience happiness, satisfaction, fulfillment, purpose, all these things that you were made for. As a matter of fact, can I, can I just tell you, when, when you really dedicate yourself to watering the seed and you start to see what the seed produces in your life, you will, you will have this kind of statement. This 
is what I was made for. So in order for the fullness of that, of that assignment to come alive in your life, the, the assignment asks for an alignment so that everything you're doing is aligned with what the Spirit is equipping and resourcing. Look at, look at this passage of Scripture with me to begin to understand that everything Jesus does is Spirit-originated. In John chapter 3, he's speaking to Nicodemus, a religious leader, and he's telling Nicodemus, everything you have done up to now has no value. And he says to him, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. You understand, if you're born again, you lose whatever you've had. It has no worth. You have to start over. So he's saying to a religious leader, a high-ranking official, even you must begin again, and you must be born of the Spirit. You must have a new beginning. And then he begins to explain that the way the Spirit works is like the wind. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So we're, what we're really talking about here is that the Holy Spirit is the unseen Lord. He is invisible in the sense that if you say, let me see the Holy Spirit, you will not see Him. But what Jesus says is the Holy Spirit is always at work and you will see the results of the Spirit and they will be visible, they will be authentic, they will be tangible, they'll be things you care about. Things that matter to you. And so what the book of Acts starts to show us is that that visible effect of the wind of the Spirit, of the flow of the Spirit, as we've been calling, creates eight different things that are amazing to live in. The first is that you, an ordinary person, me, an ordinary person, we live with the touch of God's presence. Not just the concept of His presence, but the reality and an encounter with His presence. I've been through some pretty tough things health-wise. I, I went through this horrible bout of malaria. For over a week, I had this terrible fever. And uh, as this fever was around 105 at times and 106, I hallucinated. So I couldn't sleep at night, so I would watch TV. But every now and then I would doze off. And whenever I dozed off, I was living in the TV show I just watched. <laughs> so I became a law and order detective. I was a butler on Downton Abbey. You know, whatever I was, whatever I was watching, I became in, into that. And the pain was often excruciating from the fever and the aches and the, and the pains. And of course I prayed, friends. I prayed, God, take this pain away. Of course I prayed that. But you know what? He gave me something better than taking the pain away. There was a sense, a reality, even in my most weak physical moments, of the tenderness of the presence of the Lord. Yeah, I knew He was powerful. He could have taken the pain away. He chose to enter into my pain and in His tenderness take me through it. And from that day, I have not lost a day where I don't know how to access the tenderness of His presence. See, He wants, 
you and I, if we will water the seeds to have a touch of His presence. It's your heritage. It's the children's touch of the Father's love. But not only that, once you start really saying, I, I, I am living in the Spirit and the work of the Spirit, what you start to see is other people who have the same Spirit. It is, a, it is an awesome thing when church stops being about superficial. I mean, I like talking about sports. I enjoy weather and fashion or food or all those things, but I really want to know your heart. And I want to know if you can handle my heart. I see, when it's spirit to spirit, we know each other, but we might not, not even know what work you do. We might not know how many children you have or where you grew up, because those things are often just entrances into intimacy, but the spirit leads us right into intimacy with one another. Because see, if you know my heart and you handle my heart well, then my whole life will be different. Are you tracking with me in this? So when the Spirit's seeds are fully germinated and we start to see the fruit, there's, a, there's an atmosphere of healing, there's an atmosphere of celebration, there's an atmosphere of freedom and deliverance, there's an atmosphere of forgiveness. We've tried to... We tried to create that and make space for that since I first came here. But I, I, I want, I, I've always wanted us, and, and we've seen some wonderful healing here. But I had this experience many years ago where I had this cyst on my back. And uh, the cyst got infected, and I was going to have to have surgery. So the surgery was on Monday. So Sunday, I'm the pastor, so I called a healing service. So we worshiped and we did healing, and mostly it was for me. And I know the chair in here that's the most anointed chair, where more healings have taken place. And so I got in that chair and said, I need you all to pray for me. So people here in those days, they were, they were super loving, they were kind to me, but their prayers sucked. I mean, they were praying things like, oh, God, let the surgery go well and let the doctors be highly qualified and may Lisa become... I was like, shut up. You're praying for what's naturally possible. You don't actually need God to do that. I want healing. And I'm like, oh, this is driving me crazy. And finally, this teenager came. And she says, I see a dagger in your back with poison in it. And I believe God is calling me to pull it out in Jesus' name. So here's it. And, and it's just like a story in Jesus. They're like, okay, nice little girl. Don't bother the pastor right now. Kind of. I'm like, no, come on. And she took the dagger out in Jesus' name and took the poison out. My sis dried up completely. The pain went away. The infection went away. And I canceled the surgery. See, but for some, it's still not a spiritual community. It's just a nice place to be nice to each other. But when it becomes a spiritual community, then what you're seeing is not just the naturally possible, but you start to see the supernaturally possible. Because you believe. And what happens when forgiveness is in the air and deliverance is in the air, then all of us start to have a hope that blossoms, that, that there's more to life than just surviving and more to life than just getting by. We start to believe that we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus.
And you see, when that spirit atmosphere is being realized, then everywhere you go outside of the spirit atmosphere here, you begin to be bold in your witness because you have something to witness to. And you start to being fruitful in your mission. Look, if you're going to do the things that the, that the spirit has assigned to you, you're going to need to understand what makes the spiritual atmosphere optimum for you to operate. And that's where you begin to realize, I can't do the things of the Spirit without the Spirit. And so, I mean, in a sense, it's, it's this simple. You take whatever level of faithfulness you have right now in the Holy Spirit, and you believe that the utterly faithful Holy Spirit will join with you and you with Him, and He will produce through His faithfulness, not the perfection of your faithfulness, but through His faithfulness, He will produce certainty that your life will be effective and it will be fruitful. Amen. But see, if you keep saying, well, you know, when He works this way or that way or when I see it or whatever it is, then I will... No, you take whatever level of faith you have right now, whatever level of hope you have right now, whatever level of hearing from the Spirit right now, and you take the imperfect that you have and you join it with Him, His faithfulness will overshadow any places of your imperfection. Now the deal is that you can't manipulate Him. You can't get, it, get Him in a method. You can't program Him because He's not an it. He's not a force. He's a person. And when you unite your life with a person, you have to be willing to let that person, if He's the Holy Spirit, if He's the the third person of the Trinity, if he's God, then he's got to lead. You can't lead him. He's got to lead you. He won't equip what you're leading if he's not leading you. He won't resource what you're leading unless he's leading you. And so here's the thing. Every, and I, man, I just got to get this across to you. Everything you really want has a spiritual origin to it. Everything that will really satisfy you has a spiritual source to it. If you're trying to satisfy your heart or make yourself happy without a spiritual source, you will never be happy, you'll never be satisfied, you'll never be fulfilled. But when you join what faith and faithfulness you have in the Spirit and in your spiritual life, then His faithfulness will be joined to it and you'll have an origin of life and a source of life that comes right from the throne of God and has been hard bought, hard won for you by the Lord Jesus Christ. There are stored up blessings and treasures that only as you become intimate and an intimate of God will those treasures be released. There is an amazing warehouse waiting for you of equipment, resources, blessings, favor, everything you need to be equipped to complete your assignment is waiting for you, but it is only released through intimacy. He will not release. You see, the object of the Holy Spirit is not the result. The object is you. And then when He has you, then you'll see the results. A lot of us want the results without the intimacy. 
you cannot hide your heart from the Spirit and see the fullness of the equipping of the Spirit. As your heart is opened, as the issues of your life come up, as even issues of your past or your hurts or whatever it is come up, that's the assignment before the assignment. Are you hearing me? So when you begin to operate in that kind of faithfulness, you will see fruitfulness, and then you'll see other people come to faith in Jesus. All right, let me explain it from a... This is a very personal thing. This is very much... I can't tell you what his curriculum is for you because it's personalized to you. It has to do... Everything has to do with the assignments he's asking you to do. Back in 1997... Lisa and I got an assignment. Through some pretty strong revelation from the Holy Spirit, I was led to this Alliance Church in the, in the urban area of Atlanta. And while I was in the parking lot, I heard the Spirit of the Lord say, I'm making you the pastor of this church. Now, I, I knew that I was transitioning from where I was, but I had no desire to be at this church. It was, uh, it was uh, if we had had enough money, we could have made it a mid-century modern church, but it was mostly a mid-century dump of a church. <laughs> and it was, it was neglected. It was not taken care of. It had gotten down to 21 people. And all of them had a foot in the grave. <laughs> I'm not kidding. So, Lisa, I, I say, Lord, if you're calling me to this church, please tell Lisa So I go home, and he didn't. So I tell her what I experienced, and she says, don't tell anybody. Because, you know, it's such a bad church, they give it to me just because I said I wanted it. You know, it wasn't, they wouldn't have cared what the assignment was. They were just looking for a pastor. But the Lord had spoken to me, and she said, don't tell anybody. Don't, don't make this happen. So I said, fine. And the next day, the district superintendent over the whole region called me and said, I'd like you to go be pastor of this church. And Lisa goes, oh, no, it must be God, you know. <laughs> so we said, we're not going to tell them we're willing to be pastor. We'll just go preach at the church. And Lisa, you know, was like, don't let them know that you've heard this from God because... <laughs> So we go to the church, and Lisa cries the whole service. And I was like, I thought it was a pretty good sermon. I don't know why you're crying. Uh, and she goes, all I feel is death. And then she said this, and there's nobody here to help us. But my wife is such an awesome woman. And she, even though she saw what the cost was going to be of the assignment... She still said yes, and she threw herself into that work, and we threw ourselves into that work. We prayer walked, we prayed, we did, we did all the things the Lord was showing us to do to try to deliver this church from, from death. And after the first year of all this activity, we went down from 21 to 17 because four of the people died. We were having a reverse revival. And we worked so hard the next year, more prayer walking, more nights of prayer, bringing in people, doing all kinds of things. We got the church up to about 50 people or so, and we're praying for Easter, 
And, and we're believing God that we're going to see salvations on Easter. And three new people showed up on Easter, and all three of them got saved, delivered. I mean, we heard from them afterwards. They're like, this was the greatest moment in our life. One guy got off drugs. Another person just, just really met Jesus in this fantastic way. But every one of them called me back and said, thank you so much, but we'll never go back to your church. It feels like death. I went, thanks for the assignment. <laughs> this is terrible. I was dying. I was so upset. Here's what I learned. There are a number of things I want to tell you about. One is, we were faithful as best we could. We were imperfect. But as best we could, we were faithful to the assignment, and the faithful spirit was working. But the church was not faithful to its assignment. We were an invitation to their assignment. They chose to say no to the invitation. They were dying, but they chose to die instead of live. They chose to continue being and doing exactly what they'd always done because they were comfortable dying. So just because you're on assignment doesn't always mean the invitation you are to another group is going to be accepted. But even though it didn't turn out the way we wanted it to turn out, those were the formative years of understanding how to pray, how to lead, how to walk in the Spirit. Listen to me, friends. That was 1997. Every single place we prayed, everything we prayed, everything we did immediately worked in New City. So I spent years praying in Atlanta, saw the answers right here. He will always, if you will water the seed, the seed will grow. But listen how supernatural it was. We knew that in order for that church to have really a growth, a life, or whatever it is, the old church had to die, and a new church, a new ministry had to come out of it so new people could assimilate into it. And Lisa is an incredibly strategic person, and she was praying about this, and the Lord gave her a name for the new ministry. New City Ministry. We were in Atlanta. We weren't in New City. <laughs> so in 1998, the vision we had that we thought was for Atlanta was a whole ministry, vision, values, strategy, everything that was under the title of New City Ministry. The, the district I was a part of, I submitted that, that plan, that vision, and they said, we don't want it. The church, we submitted the plan, and they said, we don't want it. But for some reason, the actual new city wanted it. Are you hearing me? I get chills when I think about this. Because we had no idea you were here. I'm from the South. I don't know anything about New York. <laughs> and so the Spirit was in the assignment, faithfulness, as imperfect as it was, was setting up for everything we would do for this 16 years that we've been here. You water the seed, He brings the fruitfulness. Are you hearing? I'm, I'm, a little, I'm getting a little emotional as I think about this. All right? 
So the church is not called to be just a nice place. The church is a spiritual community. And what the, the writer of the book of Acts, Dr. Luke, says, he says he sees the church as a community of charismatic prophets. They're on a mission to represent or represent the risen Christ to the world through the prophetic words that the Spirit gives you and through the prophetic works that the Spirit gives you. I'm not talking about future telling or any of these kind of things. I'm talking about you hearing from God the words you are supposed to say on behalf of God. Seeing from God the works that you are supposed to do. Long before we came to New City, God showed Lisa that we would be in New City. And everything that has happened here has not been because of our faithfulness, but it's been because of the faithful spirit. But when you join even your little bit of faithfulness to his faithfulness, you will see fruitfulness. And this is so important that we get this because the first century was very much like our century. And that church was effective at turning the whole world upside down in what I would call an utterly fragmented society. When, when you have a society where there is no unity and there is no certainty about what's right or wrong and all these voices are crying out to say what's true and false, then, then what happens is every philosophy, every religion is screaming for its own attention. So what has to happen is that the words that are spoken and the works that are done have to be spirit-equipped or we're just one more voice in a fragmented society. And what happened in the first century is that even with all the imperfections which we see in the book of Acts, the Spirit empowered and equipped their words and equipped their actions so that the world was able to see that Jesus was raised from the dead. Now, they didn't have Bibles. They had, had to have the charisma. They had to have the Spirit-equipped, the Spirit-anointed speech in order to proclaim Christ and bring their neighbors and their friends to Jesus. Now, what I'm trying to say to you is in whatever circumstance you're in, whether it's your home, your work, your school, whatever it is, you have to start realizing that you're not alone. That the very Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit that Revelation 19 calls the Spirit of Prophecy, is operating in you if you are born again. If you are a believer. At the origin, at the source of who you are, is the Spirit of Christ. And so anytime you start, even with your awkwardness or with just a little bit of an opening, start to say, I will speak for Jesus, the Spirit will anoint that speech... And instead of it being you testifying of Jesus, Jesus is testifying of Himself. But He needs an opening. And you need to start saying, look, I am never alone. I am always accompanied by the very Spirit of Jesus. But that's not all, friends. It's not just that the Spirit of Jesus. In Revelation 19.10, it says, when you are a testimony of Jesus, then the angels themselves partner with you. So that not only are you experiencing the Holy Spirit, but you're experiencing the angels of God. Amen. Now this may seem really strange to Westerners, but people in the past have realized and they've, they've characterized 
when God was moving in their society or God was moving in their community, they would say something like this, there is revival in the air. And I would ask some people, I said, what do you think, what do you mean by revival in the air? And what they mean by it is that that community, that place now has such a congregating of angels so that instead of it being so uh, saturated with the demonic, now it's saturated with the angels of God because they are looking for brothers and sisters to partner with. I, I know maybe you think, you know, this will not. No, all you have to do is unite your faithfulness wherever it's at with the faithful Holy Spirit. And guess what? Then the angels join you. And the whole community and the atmosphere begins to be transformed. So that actually we start to talk about open heavens. Look, you may not, you know, the people that go to Reading or people that go to different places, you know what they always report? You just feel different in the atmosphere. I don't know about you, but I hate waiting in lines. I really hate it. I mean, I despise it. But back in 1995, there was this huge revival down in Pensacola called the Brownsville Revival. And I was still skeptical about these things. And, uh, but I, I felt like the Lord said, go. So I went on a Wednesday thinking there'd be fewer people there on a Wednesday. <laughs> I got there at 3 o'clock, and there was a line for a 7 o'clock service. And we had to wait four hours to get in. Now, usually... All my ADD and, and uh, everything else would come up. And that was before there were iPhones, so you couldn't even distract yourself in those days <laughs> with your beeper or whatever it was you had, you know. But in that atmosphere, it didn't matter how long we waited. His presence was so tangible. It wasn't a perfect revival. There were all kinds of things that were probably not quite right about it, but there was within the degree of faithfulness they had, the faithful spirit joined, and you could feel the angels in the atmosphere. I want that for Rockland County. I want that for your home, your apartment. I want that to be true at your work. Are you hearing me? So how does it become, well, it becomes a reality when you decide, I'm going to testify of Jesus. Because as soon as you're willing to be a testifier of Jesus, Jesus makes his appeal through you. Whatever awkwardness you feel, he will empower, he will equip. See, his mission then is not just carried out by his spirit, but it's carried out by the angelic forces. Look, have you ever thought about this? Only a third of the angels rebelled. That means the, uh, the good angels outnumber them two to one. Let's go get those suckers. But it takes a group of people or individuals like you to say, I'm going to join this. Because they're not going to join their resources with someone who's resistant and rebellious. So if you have the seed all laying on the ground and you won't water it and you won't take care of it, then they're not going to, you're not going to see the equipping, you're not going to see the resourcing. The first step is for you to say, look, I live to testify of Jesus. And look, it's... It's not just explaining the Bible to people. You may not know enough Bible. That's okay. You need to know a lot of Jesus. 
There are a lot of people who can tell you when the end times are coming and when the old times came and when the you know, new times are coming and all of those kind of things. And they lead no one to Jesus. We don't need you to be a scholar. We need you to be intimate with Jesus. And so out of your intimacy and prophetic encounter with Him, then He gives you the words to say so you're actually so Spirit-filled, man, woman, boy, or girl, that what you say is what He's saying to them. You know, it's so beautiful when you realize what prophecy really is. It lays bare the secrets of people's hearts. This... This is so wonderful when the Spirit starts working. I, I just can't stand church any other way. You know, that sense that, that, that you begin to see the fullness of what He wants in terms of fruitfulness of the Spirit. Look at, look at Acts chapter 2. This is the foundational chapter about how the Spirit equips people to be the Spirit of God, to be the people of God. In Acts chapter 2, 40, verse 42, he said, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. You see, you can't, you can't water the seed if you don't know the Word. So there has to be a devotion to say, say Lord, what are you teaching me? What, are you, what do I need to know? What do I need to know? So they devoted themselves. They watered their souls. And then it says, they devoted themselves also to fellowship. Now, the problem for many of us is fellowship is I bring potato salad, you bring fried chicken, you know, you bring your best pie or whatever. And that does taste good, but that's not fellowship. Because I could do all those things and never get below the surface. Fellowship is a deep level of spiritual friendship where you begin to believe that your vulnerability is safe. So that... In that first century church, it says everyone who had needs had their needs met. You know what that means? They were vulnerable enough. They were honest enough to say, I have needs. You will only share that with people that you believe will handle your needs well. So the devotion has to be a devotion to being a person who is not only truthful, but is also honest, who's vulnerable and who values vulnerability. And what comes from that is that then when you're around table together and you're eating that good food together, you're actually sharing your heart and your lives with each other. And guess what? None of this, none of this was a single culture. Because what binds us together is not our past, our culture, our languages, or anything else. It is that shared spirit. You are born of the same spirit I am. You have the same adoption papers I have. You have been elevated to the same status that I have. How can I ever believe that you should be treated less than a, than a son or a daughter of the Most High God because we come from different cultures or we have different socioeconomic backgrounds? We are one in Christ. Do you know why so much of the potential of the Spirit has not been reached? It's because we don't treat each other this way. You know? I mean, this is what it is to water the seed. Devoted to His Word. Devoted to one another. And you know what one of the, one of the most unifying things ever is? Is when you sit and eat with people. You eat food together. You talk together. Because when you do that, you're saying, you're my equal. Or you might even be saying, you're so important to me, I want to feed you a meal, I want to serve you a meal. 
What came from that devotion is what I want you to get right now. These ordinary people who brought their imperfect faithfulness and joined it with a faithful spirit, everybody was in awe of them. Everybody was in awe of them. Now, this may be hard for you to believe, but, the, but part of the destiny of your life is that everybody you meet should say, what is it about you that is so different? There has to be in every person who's being equipped by the Spirit, who's being resourced by the Spirit and filled with the Spirit, there should be this thing that people look at you and say, there's something about you that creates awe in me. And of course, when they say it, you're going to go, it's Jesus. Because you all are idiots. You're jerks. You're impatient. You don't love like you should. You can't say, oh God, I'm so faithful. You, if you say that, we all know how unfaithful you really are. So it would be, if people are in awe of you, you won't sit there and go, yeah, I know. When people are in awe of you, you're going to go, it's because of Jesus. It's because of Christ. And then in that atmosphere of awe, it says miraculous signs and wonders started to take place. There's a story that always gets to me. One of the people that, that I read a lot and read a lot over the years is a, a man by the name of Peter Wagner. Peter Wagner is a scholar, was at Fuller, and got filled with the Holy Spirit and started doing spirit stuff and healings and deliverances and all kind of things. So he would teach or preach and then they would have healing lines. And there was this, this young girl, about 18 maybe, that was the most effective in all the prayer of healing, deliverance, and, and any kind of miraculous things. So the question was asked her, why are you so effective? And they were filled with awe at this teenager's effectiveness. And her answer was so beautiful. She said, I grew up and nobody loved me. I sought for love and sex. I tried to, tried, you know, drugs. I did all of these things and there was no love and there was no one who loved me. And then she said, I met Jesus. And she said, no one has ever loved me like Jesus. And she, she said, in my intimacy with him, and she didn't, I'm describing it, you understand. But she said, he asked me to pray for the sick. He asked me to pray for people who had demons. He asked me to pray for people who had needs. So I went to my pastor, and I said, Pastor, Jesus has asked me to pray for the sick, for the, those who have demons, for those who have needs and stuff. Is that okay with you? And the pastor said, well, if Jesus told you to. It's okay with me. So here's this young girl who cannot explain to you why she has such an anointing in healing because she has nothing but a damaged past. Here is this young woman who can see the demons flee and she can't tell you anything except I was never loved by anybody like I was loved by Jesus and he asked me to do it so I do it. You understand when the awe comes it is not a spotlight on you. The Holy Spirit is like a spotlight on a building. You don't say, wow, what a spotlight. You say, how beautiful that building is. Amen. Come on, I can't say this better than I am. Are you hearing me? Yes. 
Are some of you tearing up with the girl story? Yeah. It's pretty good, right? I tear up every time I tell that story. So as we're moving to, to conclusion here, just the biblical principle here is that the disciples, because they were equipped by the Spirit, did works of power. Those works of power brought awe into the light of who Jesus was and who the community was. But they didn't just do works of power. They didn't just do healing. They had words of power. So the words that they spoke, spirit-equipped, spirit-empowered, had these amazing results. Peter, who was really a very ill-equipped spokesperson for the movement, got equipped by the Spirit, and two of his discourses are two of the most powerful sermons that have ever been preached and had immediate results. But I, my favorite of all the Spirit-equipped individuals in the book of Acts is Stephen. Stephen uh, continually sought the fullness of the Holy Spirit. He continually sought the watering of the seeds of his life. And so when the moment came, he was given a, a dangerous assignment. He was to speak of Jesus to the religious leaders. He was to speak of Jesus. And in his sermon, so Spirit-filled, he unpacked the entire Bible and showed how Jesus was the fulfillment of the messianic hopes of the Jews. Now, if you read this really carefully, you might say, wow, this was a really tough assignment because when he finished, they killed him. And the one who was standing there saying, you have my permission to kill him, was Saul. But here's what we know from Saul who became Paul's testimony. He could not get Stephen out of his mind. Do you understand? See, all his life, Paul, who was Saul, wanted what he saw in Stephen. You see, he said Stephen had the glory of God on his face. And Saul's saying, he doesn't deserve that. He hasn't worked for it. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm a Pharisee. I know the law. I keep the law. I don't have that glory. He has it. He knew that was the same glory Moses had had. And he had spent all his career, all of his religious life, he had spent everything he had to get what Stephen had, and he had to kill him because he couldn't stand it that Stephen had received what he had worked for. So much power in that sermon, Saul could not get away from it. So on the road to Damascus, do you remember what Jesus said to him when he appeared to him? He said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute Stephen? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute the church? No, he said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? There is nothing you ever do, friends, that he isn't united to what you're doing. And there's nothing you do in him that he will not change the world with, even as you decide to just do one assignment in as much faithfulness as you have. Look, I'll finish with this. There are three basic areas that every assignment of the Spirit leads to. These are the assignments he equips. And if your life is not in alignment with these assignments, you will not know his power. He, he equips and he empowers you to reach lost people for Jesus. 
He wants you to open your mouth. He wants you to be a testimony of Jesus. He will always equip and empower that. He wants you to be connected to a spirit-filled body of believers and bring what you have in and supernaturally connect. He doesn't just want you to sit here and not be known and not be understood and never be contributing. You will find some of your greatest joy at sharing your life with other people who are sharing the same spirit. But you will not know the fullness of His power until your assignment is also aligned that everything you're going through Everything that you're experiencing, he wants you to share it with somebody else and equip someone. Paul had his Timothy. You need your Timothy. All right, now let me make this as like pointed as I can right here. When you are not aligned with the Spirit's equipping, when you're not aligned with the Spirit's assignment, it doesn't diminish the Spirit's power. It diminishes your spiritual power. So let's look at it this way. If you say, well, I'll do some other things, but I won't speak for Jesus. Now you've lost a third of your power. You know, I don't need to be a part of a church. I can just come listen to a sermon. I can watch online or whatever it might be. And I'll just get the good and I'll get fed. You've now lost two thirds of your spirit power. And when you say, you know, I don't have anything to give to anybody. There's nothing going on in my life that I could share with someone else. Now you've lost three-thirds of your spirit power. You have diminished to no spiritual power. I'm asking you today, friends. I'm asking one, recognize there are seeds in you. He's been planting them all along, but you haven't been watering them. There are things that he wants to equip you for, but you've got to step into these things by faith. See, faith is unconnected to anything in your past. It's unconnected to anything in your brain that makes you feel comfortable. He's asking you to do things you haven't done before, but he's promising you he's there, the angels are there, and the equipment's there to get it done. But here's the thing. Once you take steps of faith, they become pathways that now you know they work. And once you've done it, it becomes trust. And whatever you trust can be repeated again and again and again. Will you stand with me? Would you do something uh, kind of prophetic, I would say? It's a little bit of a a physical step. Obviously, the seeds he plants, he doesn't want to plant it on a concrete heart. He doesn't want to plant it in an anxiety-filled heart. He doesn't want to plant those seeds in something that's going to be burned up by, by the heat of the sun. He wants to plant your seeds into a, a receptive fertile heart so I'm asking you would you would you put your hand on your heart the the funny thing is you don't need magic to have a prepared heart you just have to have a decision what your heart is open to is up to you I love it when people actually I don't I'm being sarcastic uh, I don't like it when people say oh Lord please make my heart I'm like it's your heart you're asking him to do what you're choosing not to do. 
So by a prophetic act, and it's a simple act, you put your hand on your heart and you decide you're going to water the seeds. I really believe, friends, God is calling you to be people that fill the people around you with awe because there's something inexplicable about you, something inexplicable about, about your life, and that will not be your education, your money, your health. It has to be spiritually sourced, spiritually equipped. No one's ever loved you like Jesus loves you, and he's asking this of you. So I, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I speak to where you are willing to open your heart. And I speak to those seeds that the Spirit has planted of spirit assignment. And I say right now that the Spirit will equip you. The angels are joining with you. The Spirit of Christ will testify of Christ through you. And you will see the fullness and the fruition of all that has been planted in you. And it will give you an optimum spiritual atmosphere in your home, your work, your school. Your own heart becomes an optimum spiritual atmosphere. And we will see, and I, I hear the Lord saying, revival in the air. Not just for us, friends, but for our whole community, for our family, our friends, even for people we don't know. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being here. We'll see you next week.